0: Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Very good to see you. I am glad to be up here today. A couple of you know, but I sent out an SOS prayer request to some people yesterday morning because something happened on my back yesterday. I couldn't even get out of bed. I like kind of fell to my knees trying to even get to the bathroom in the morning. (laughs) It was bad. I couldn't roll over in bed, so I was like, I need prayer help. And uh, so I come to you today feeling 90% better. Somehow, through a lot of prayer, might be a couple drugs involved too, <laughs> but so I'm not responsible for anything that comes out of my mouth today. If it doesn't make sense, it's the prednisone. <laughs> so Anyway, uh, no, I am thrilled to be here and I am really excited. Thank you for those of you who did pray for me yesterday and it really, really did work because I woke up this morning feeling better even before I took the medicine. So I was worried how I was going to feel this morning. So I am very excited about that. And I, I was, thank you. Well, first of all, I mean, I haven't had a chance to say it from the stage yet. Um, but I want to say how excited I am to have an amazing pastor like Pastor Josh at this church. And he was right there praying for me yesterday and even said, I'll make a sermon outline. I can preach if you need me to. And uh, so he was, he was just there for me, and I just appreciate and love him so much. We are blessed. We are truly blessed. Um, and he's even brave enough to let me preach. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I would like to talk with you guys all today, and this is one of the reasons I, I was very much so hoping my back issues would not keep me out of here this morning, because this is a word that I have had on my heart for months for this church and I've really felt God working it. And uh, probably I don't know four or five, six months ago, I decided next time I'm preaching, this is what I want to share. And, and then I was asked to preach on Father's Day, and when I preached like last month, and I'm like, eh, it just didn't feel right for Father's Day. Um, but here we are today, and uh, this is a, this is a message concerning grief, all right, concerning the difficult times in our life. Raise your hand if you've expressed experienced some level of difficulty in your life at some point, some grief, right? Uh, every one of us feels it at some point. Uh, maybe, maybe even grief is not even the best word to describe all of it. Uh, expressing grief, grief is the title I gave the message today. But I think this includes uh, all emotions, strong, what we might categorize as negative emotions. Uh, and I include in that anger, right? Sadness, depression, even rage, uh, feelings of, of vengeance on people who have hurt us. These things that crop, that that rise up inside of us, and uh, when when these hard things happen to us, uh, they can they can bring in us bring up in us a wide range of emotions, right? And if you guys ever just felt kind of controlled by those emotions, just, just they, feel, they feel a little overwhelming sometimes, and uh, it can be an overwhelming feeling of sadness, where. Maybe you just think, I don't care about life anymore, right? You've just been to that place, you're just like, I am just going to crawl in a hole, and that's it, I'm done. Um, maybe it has brought out in you the, a feeling of, of rage or anger or a desire to take vengeance on someone, to hurt someone who hurt you. Uh, y- you know, I don't think... One of the things I'm going to be talking about today is, you know, I don't know, am I allowed to admit in church that I wanted to hurt somebody? <laughs> and... uh I'm going to hopefully get across today that I think, yeah, we should be allowed to admit in church that I want to hurt somebody right now, and we should be allowed to admit to God, God, I want to hurt somebody right now. Dare I even say, God, I want to hurt you right now. You guys been there? Have you felt that? I have. I've I've been there when I'm angry with God, when I'm angry with a person, when I'm angry with life. We've been there, every one of us. Okay, And I don't think we should be ashamed to admit that uh, because God wants to not, uh, not to have us pretend it doesn't exist, but as I was praying a little bit ago, and I feel it's so important, God wants to meet you there in that place, even when you're angry with him, when, you, when you're angry with, with your brother or sister, the person that you know you're supposed to love unconditionally, Right? You know you're supposed to love them. Your neighbor, the Bible calls them. Who's your neighbor? Anyone who needs your help, right? Anybody that you're around. That's your neighbor. So you know in your head you're supposed to love these people unconditionally. You're supposed to love God and honor and respect him unconditionally. But we know through experience it doesn't always happen that way, okay? Like I said, it could be major. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be your best friend just betrayed you in a very harmful way. Uh, It could be minor. It could just be... A hiccup in life, but it can get your it can get you angry one day, right? It's such a huge range, but I think all of these can can fit into there, right? Well, thankfully, I don't think the Bible is very silent on grief. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, especially in the Old Testament. There are pages and pages and pages, chapters and chapters of expressions of grief, and they come from all over the place. Okay. They come from the Psalms, whoever may be writing them, okay? And that's one that we're going to look at today, Psalm 137. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the message. Um, but they, they come from prophets, okay? They come from kings. They come from songwriters. They come from God, too. They do, right? God expresses grief, anger, frustration over his children, right and and how they're treating him or what they're doing with to the, each other or how they're, they're showing injustice to one another and all these things god grieves over these things god has expressions of grief himself including every so many people in scripture the bible's not silent on grief and especially the expression of grief and so it is that that causes me to wonder If maybe we as a church, and I don't just mean Bethel, I just mean capital C Church, the Christian church, the church experience, I wonder if we need to reevaluate how we handle grief in our our body, in our family. Uh, Do we give the space that the Bible gives for the expression of grief, of anger, of rage, of vengeance? All of which is given expression, given space to be expressed in the Bible. Do we give that same amount of space with each other in our church family? Question to ponder. Keep that in your mind as we move forward. So I want to start with a few stories, actually. And I think, I think this is going to be helpful, and I'm sure you guys each have a story of your own. And I hope as I'm sharing a few of mine that maybe they'll bring up some stories in your mind of times where you've experienced grief or saw someone else in grief, maybe how you processed that, how you thought you were supposed to process that, or maybe how other people tried to help you process that. <laughs> yes, don't point, don't point at anyone, right? So maybe these will bring some, some thoughts up with you. So, but I, w- I will tell you the one that really started. I'm going to begin with the story that really began to help me reevaluate my own thought process of expressing grief, of processing grief, of helping others process grief. So this is back in 2016. So what is that, seven, eight years ago now? Something like that. So not that long ago. 2016 should not be as long ago as it is, right? Does anybody else agree with that? <laughs> but it was pre-COVID, so ah, can we just bask in that a second? <laughs> the good old days, right? So the good old days weren't that long ago. Anyway, um, I had just, in 2016, just started my master's program. Actually, it was 2017. I lied to you, so it wasn't that long ago. But in 2016, I started my master's program. I did it mostly online through Fuller Seminary, which is out of California. And when I first started, one of their requirements was once a year, you had to travel out there for a week and do a a hybrid-type class where it was nine weeks online and one week in person. So I was expecting once a year to have to travel out to the campus and, and do a class out there. Um, What actually was nice is they had an extension campus in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where my brother lived at the time. So I got to stay with him for a week, and the campus was 20 minutes away. So that actually was a really nice excuse to go visit my brother for a week. But uh, I went out there, and there was a lady that I met, and uh, her story has stuck with me and I think will stick with me forever. Uh, So in that class, the first day, we broke up into small groups of five or six people, Uh, I think there was about 30 total in the class, 30, 35. And we broke up into smaller groups just so we could uh, get to know them. We were going to be working within little groups throughout the week for that class. And uh, so as you do, we just all went through and introduced ourselves and said some whatever about who we are, our name, where we're from, all that kind of stuff. And she came up and she introduced herself as a white-knuckled Christian. That was the phrase she used. I was like, okay, what's that mean? A white-knuckled Christian. At first I was thinking, is she angry? You know, like, whatever. Um, But she said, what I mean by that is I love God. I've been a Christian. I don't remember if she said her whole life or a long time, but she's been involved with church and God for a very long time. And uh, she said, I love God. I believe in God. But right now I have a hard time holding on to God. She said, I'm holding on with everything I got, and that's why I'm white-knuckled, right? I'm like almost ready to lose my grip. So she was at a place where she was close to losing her faith. Uh, She was struggling with the church and with God, and and she was just in a difficult place. So that's what she meant by white-knuckled Christian. She's holding on. I'm trying to hold on is the way she put it as hard as I could. And she went on to explain why. And she said about a year ago, um, she was a single mom, and she said about a year ago, uh, my 15-year-old committed suicide. I mean, talk about grief. That's about as horrific, horrific as it gets. And, and she said, if that wasn't bad enough, the way the church responded is the reason I'm a white-knuckled Christian right now. And she started sharing some of the experiences she had as she was going back to her church. By the time we had met with her, she had actually started going to a different church, and it sounded like she was having a better experience. Um, but this, she said, here's what I was facing. Now, understand, I... She was in a horrible place in that moment. This is her side of the story. So I, I mean, who knows exactly what all was said or you know, sometimes you hear what you're gonna hear regardless, right? So understand all of that. She was in a difficult place. Uh, so I'm not saying this is always the church experience, but this is what she re- felt she received. She said, I just had a bunch of people, first of all, telling me I shouldn't be so sad because that doesn't mean I have enough faith. She was had people telling her that if you had more faith, and did better with your son, he never would have killed himself. Right? I know. This is brutal. Okay? It sounds horrible, but, you know, as I began to think, I'm like, you know what? I I find that happens in church from time to time. When, When people are struggling, this concept of your lacking of faith starts to come up, or you need more faith, or something happened here. So, she said she tried. She tried to hang in there as long as she could, but it was an endless stream of people um, trying to help her get over this as quick as possible, an endless stream of, of people telling her about she needs to brought, make her faith, need to build her faith up. Her faith should be bigger, and this wouldn't be so hard. And and she said, I just got my breaking point. I couldn't take that anymore. And I think, like I said, I think she found another church family, and and was a little more um, helpful in her processing of her grief. But she's like, the biggest thing she came away with was, you know, I was dealing with, I mean, I can only imagine. I can't imagine what you deal with in that moment. But the anger, the frustration, the, the remorse, the guilt, the I, who knows what range she was feeling. And I'm sure that got expressed in some crazy ways, too, understandably, <laughs> understandably so. Um, but that was the response she had from the church, and it started driving her away from, the God, away from the church and God completely. So that made me really think hard about the church and how do we help people who are grieving? How do we help people who are really going through something bad? And it doesn't even have to be that bad, just anything bad, right? Just having a bad day. I mean, even as small as that just having a bad day, which every one of us, raise your hand if you're having a bad day today, right? <laughs> it's a good couple people, right? It's okay, we love you anyway. So <laughs> you're allowed to have a bad day. So it could be as minor as you're having a bad day, it could be you just lost your child, right? I mean, there's, there's the whole range, right? So I really started on my, myself going on this journey of asking how, are, how do we handle this? And, and if that is the response the church have, is that the best we have to offer, right? Is, is, how common is that experience in church? You know, and at that point in my life, I, I had experienced some grief. You know, I hadn't anything super major. And even to this point in my life, I've had some things happen that have been very, very hard to get through. But, I mean, nothing to that level. So I, I kind of began to then dwell a little bit on my experience. And um, I'm going to share a little bit of my wife and I's story of, of starting a family. Some of you know this story. Some of you don't, but this is t- how I was trying to personalize this, and I really began to think, well, what happened with us when we were going through our difficult time? So way back when, way, you know, as Cammy would probably say, you know, back when the dinosaurs were around, when my wife and I were dating, so, which isn't been that long. We're celebrating 20 years next year, so we are we just hit 19. So not that long ago, but it's getting there. <laughs> and uh, But even back before when we were... Uh, just dating, before we were married, one thing we knew is that we always wanted to adopt. It was just something that was in both of our hearts. We just wanted to do it. Uh, It was really cool, you know, because I I don't remember who brought it up, which one of us said it first. The other person was just like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that too. So that was kind of neat. And I even remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm pretty sure we were sitting in a Burger King having that conversation. Uh, I mean, that's where all the best dates happen, right? Fast food. So... (laughs) I have, and it's the best time for those really important conversations. Um, we were sitting in Burger King, and I think it was in Phoenixville, not far from where I went to college. So anyway, having this conversation. Well, little did we know that I, I think it was a, an awesome thing that God had put that on our hearts, because after a few years of marriage... Um we were in our I think second year of marriage and, and, and she got pregnant. So it wasn't exactly planned, but, know, but you know, but we were excited. I don't know how these things happen. Do you, know, you guys know how that happens? I don't know. <laughs> Tell me later. So she got pregnant and we were a little shocked. We were like, oh this is a little earlier than we wanted to, but we were excited, of course. Uh but several weeks later she had a miscarriage. She lost the baby. And I'm sure there are many women here that have experienced that. It's, it's a fairly common thing. I, I think I've heard that about a third of women experience a miscarriage at some point. And so we didn't think much of it other than it was hard. It wasn't fun. It was, it was it stunk. It was really bad. It was very emotional. Not cool. Because, man, you get attached to that little baby before you see it. It is, it is incredible. I mean, you parents understand, right? It is incredible how attached you can get before even meeting it. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and I was unprepared for it. I didn't even know how much it would mean, right? So uh, so that happened. It was hard. We got through it. It was about a year later, pregnant again. And uh, this time, it was, I remember it was on a Sunday morning. She woke up not feeling well. and But I went off to church, and I wasn't even to the church building. And she called, and she said, I just lost the baby. So I turned back home. So we had lost another one. So now this was really starting to hurt bad, Right? And when all was said and done, we ended up losing seven children. We had seven miscarriages. And the journey of going through that was really hard, (laughs) you know, and it just, it kept getting harder. And I, I don't know, some of you, I'm sure, have been down a road like that of struggling and with infertility and trying to figure all that out. I'm sure we're not the only ones. So you know what I'm talking about but we would go to doctors and fertility specialists and try to figure out what was going on and, and, and all that kind of stuff and genetic testing, and they actually did find the issue. And they said, you still should have a good chance, but you know here's the genetic reason for it. And so we were getting some answers, but we weren't sure if it was ever going to happen. And so at one point, I don't remember exactly when, in the middle of all of that, we looked at each other and just said, well, we both want to adopt. Let's do it right? Like, now's the time, apparently. So, so we started that process. And uh, that in itself was even a challenge, um, because we had, at one point, we had uh, a, little, a, a little baby in our home for a weekend, and then the mom decided to take the baby back. And so that was like another loss. And I've, I probably felt that one harder than she did, because, I mean, the miscarriages are much harder, on the moms and then the dads, right? But that one was, man, that was really hard. I just bawled like a baby for quite a while. That was a tough one. So um, you know, this, it was just like again, it's happening now. Good end to that. Good, good end to that story. It's it, that child's in a good home and very happy that it happened the way that it did. So that's actually a very good thing, I think. It really is. Um, so no hard feelings on that one at all. What, I think the right thing happened. So just want to say that publicly. <laughs> um, but uh, so we started uh, an adoption process. Uh, we went to adoption agency and we were looking at international adoption. We decided to adopt from Liberia. I don't remember exactly why it just felt like Liberia is the way to go. And uh, so it wasn't too long before we got this email of this picture of this beautiful little baby boy, as you guys know, is Titus, <laughs> right? And uh, so, but we even struggled with that one because eventually Liberia shut down all the outgoing adoptions and we were never sure if he was even going to come home. But eventually he did. But in the middle of that whole process, uh, we got connected with another family and we were able to adopt Dominic, who's right there. So, wonderful. I'm sorry to point you out. I'll never do that again. (laughs) Oh, he's talking about me. So, so we, we were able to adopt Dominic in 2009. And... Uh, and he was, he was more local. It was not an international adoption. Um, but we were able to adopt him. And then a little less than a year later, so I think that was in July, and then Christmas Eve of that year, 2009, so we found out Leah was pregnant again. Again, we weren't trying. I don't know how it happened. You guys are going to have to let me know how this happens. So, <laughs> and uh, at first um, at first it was a bit of a struggle because we had kind of said we, we're not sure that we want to do this. And we we thought like, are we going to have to go through loss again? Um, but it worked this time, and now we have the beautiful Cami, <laughs> and who's holding on to mommy right now? And that's just wonderful. Um, so anyway, then about the time she was going to be born, we were thirty. She was thirty some weeks pregnant. We get the call. It's ready. It's time to bring Titus home. <laughs> and uh, so she is very pregnant. I traveled to Liberia. I was there. I was supposed to be there two weeks. I actually got stuck and ended up having to be there three weeks. Wasn't sure if I was going to make it home or not. I was very worried about missing the birth of my daughter because when I got home, were you 37 weeks, I think, by the time I got home? So you just never know at that point. And uh, so all said and done, we ended up with three kids within 13 months. And uh, yeah, whoa. (laughs) Who said whoa? Yeah, you understand. Whoa. (laughs) So, and you guys know some of the rest of the story, but What a blessing it ended up being. But all of that to say, I wanted you guys to know our story. But as much joy as we have bringing those three children into our home, we still had seven miscarriages. We still had an intense amount of loss happening in there, an intense amount of questioning and grief and anger and frustration. And so as I heard this lady's story that I met a few years back, I began thinking back to my experience of or more her experience than mine, really, but our experience going through those losses. And what was what happened with the church, right? How, how did the church respond at that point? Well, and it really wasn't bad. I, I mean, I can't say that there was like everybody was just be like, you horrible sinners, you know. It, it wasn't like a horrible experience. But as I thought back, I, I began to identify a little bit with this lady and, and seeing it a little bit, not to a severe level, but it was there. And I I remember very vividly there being plenty of people coming to Leah and telling her about her faith level and having those conversations with her. And you need to bring up your faith level. Um, There were books that were shared with her about if you have enough faith, you're going to have the perfect um, pregnancy and all this kind of stuff. And it's all about your faith. And there was a lot of that going on. It was there. And my, no, this was only one comment that I recall ever happening. My personal favorite is someone went to her and told her this is happening because Jeff's living in unrepented sin. So that comment was made once too. So I was like, sin, yes, Unrepented, no, every single day. I'm like, I'm sorry, right? Plenty of sin. That's not an issue. I'm good with that. We're all good at that. (laughs) But it's all repented as far as I'm aware of. So, (laughs) you know, so those comments were there right? There's comments were there. And again, we never were like, oh, we don't like God, or we're giving up on the church. It never got to that place for us. But as I thought back on it, I began to realize the church gave us, at least what they were trying to offer us, was plenty of opportunities to get over our grief, but not too many opportunities to just express our grief. And that's the thing I came away with as I began to think about it. And I don't, I mean, I don't know, I can't say, I mean, I don't want to say that I ever went to church and be like, I just need to express some grief. And someone was like, nope, don't do it. That never happened, right? But it, I don't recall, I could be wrong if you, if you know there was someone, but I don't recall anyone ever just coming to us and being like, this situation's awful. And it's okay if you're angry. It's okay if you just hate the world right now. Let it out. Like, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to wonder if God's there. Like, it's okay. Allow that space for yourself. I don't know that I ever experienced that. I don't know that that ever came to me. And that would have been nice, you know? Because I don't know. I, again, it's, it's all a blur. It's very blurry going through all that. It's a lot of a blur. But I don't know that I ever felt or that it even crossed my mind that the church and the people in it is a place that I could go to to just tell them all of my thoughts, to just get it out, right? Someone needs to know. And part of that's me and part of that's them. You know, it was was them in that I don't know that anyone came to me and said, let it out if you need to. Whatever it is, I don't care. Whatever you got to say, whatever you got to do, just say it and do it, and I'm still here for you. Like That offer was never made to me. But I also, at the same time, I don't know that the thought ever crossed my mind that that's something I could do at church. Right? And, and so that's on me a little bit because there probably were people that would have been able to handle it or take it from me if I needed to do it. Um and, uh, but I also think maybe did that come from my upbringing in the church just because I never saw that, right? I never, I never, I never was told that in church. I never, that was never expressed to me that church is a place you can do that, right? Because what church was was a place of victory and happiness and joy, all true, and that shouldn't end, right? It is a place of joy and victory and happiness, but it's also a place of real emotion and being real people. It needs to be. Right? And I don't know that I ever saw that end of it to, enough to know that could be available to me. Okay? So that's really the message I want to get across today is that can we make church be a place like that? Yes. Can we make church be a place like that? So as I began to think back about my upbringing, the final story I want to share with you. And I, I was, um, it wasn't, this, this wasn't uh, like a defining moment in my life at least I didn't think it was, but as I began to process my thoughts on grief a little bit more and how we help people and how I help myself or whatever, all the things that I'm sharing with you so far, as I began to process that, I realized there was this moment, this thing that happened in the church I grew up in as a teenager that did define it a little bit for me. And I never even really gave it much of a second thought until years later. Um, There was a guy in our church Who Like I said, I was a teenager, probably an older teenager at this point, maybe 16, 17, 18, in that range. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Um, But he was, if I had to guess, probably in his mid-40s, and he lost his wife. Um, And she had been sick for some time, but still, no one expects to lose a spouse in your 40s. That's not how that's supposed to happen. That's a horrible thing. And uh, I remember hearing that it happened and just... Feeling, feeling really sad about it and just being like, wow, that's, that's just terrible. Um, we were kind of connected with him. Uh, my brother and his son were really good friends. They hung out a lot in high school. And um, so we were a little connected with this family. And, but I remember that after she had passed away, he was in church that Sunday. I remember, first of all, being surprised to see him in church. I wasn't like, it was just a thought I had. I'm like, wow, he just lost his wife and he's here. And then I noticed he was smiling like, he had a happy demeanor about him that day. And I, I remember that striking me as odd as well, too. Like, it just did. It just struck me odd. And I don't even remember who said it, where it came from. I just know it registered in my brain at some point. And again, I'm a teenager going through all of this, so I, I may get details wrong. I, this is just how I remember it. This was my experience. Um, I remember somebody saying, wow, he's handling this really well. Isn't it? And so that seed got planted in my brain that the way... A faithful, godly man handles grief is through smiling, is through feeling good through it, is being happy in spite of it. And so I I got that, I, I just, that registered in my brain, right? That just was there. And I didn't even realize it was there. That to handle it well meant I'm happy even though my life's falling apart. To handle it well means I can still claim victory even though all I'm feeling is defeat. Okay? And that just registered in my brain. Uh, again, I, am not saying that's all that happened, but, and I'm not saying the guy didn't outwardly grieve. I just didn't see it. So again, I was a teenager. I wasn't very observant, right? I was 17. So you don't see things when you're 17. <laughs> that's just what I observed. So these were the stories that came to my mind. And this is when I really began to reevaluate. And then over the years, as I've gotten more serious in my study of scripture, um, especially since this lady's story uh, of grief. And as I began to process that a little bit more in my brain, um, all of a sudden the the expressions of grief in Scripture began to stand out to me a little bit more. Because I was looking for it, I guess, right? You don't always see things if you're not looking for it. Uh, I read a book one time um, called, uh, I think, okay, I don't remember the name of the book. But I remember one illustration in the book. <laughs> the name just left me, but... <laughs> The, it was a guy talking about, you see things in life when you're looking for them. And the example, the illustration he used was the hidden Mickeys, he called them, at Disneyland. And he said, I've been to Disneyland many, many times in my life. He said, one time told me somebody told me, look, there's hidden Mickeys everywhere. Like, they just work them into the designs and things. And he said, the next time I went, I was looking for them, and sure enough, Hidden Mickeys all over the place. Like Mickey Mouse was just everywhere, way more than I thought. And his lesson with that was if you're looking for something, you'll see it, right? If you're not looking for something, a lot of times you don't even realize it's there. So have an expectation of seeing it. So that was a cool illustration. And I liked that point. And I find that true about Scripture a lot. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Is, you know, depending on what you're looking for in Scripture often changes what you find. Now, granted, you have to be careful with that, because sometimes if you want to find it bad enough, you'll find things that really aren't there. <laughs> so you have, to be, you have to be wise about that. But let me tell you, there are expressions of grief in Scripture. Plenty of them, way more than I thought there were. And some of them are just, they sound sinful. They sound horrible. And I'm going to share one of those with you guys today. Some of these expressions, as, as you read them, you're just like, should a person of God ever even think that, right? How can a person of God even allow that to cross their mind, let alone this be in the Bible? How's that possible? Well, the one I want to share with you today is in Psalm 137. So if you wanted to turn there or prepare or whatever, we're going to read that in just a minute. But let me give you some background on this. This psalm was written at a time when Israel was in their darkest moment. So Israel as a people... uh, the the nation when you know really began really gained steam when Saul became the first king. They were established as a as a true nation with a king, and began to have political power at that point. And uh, so we had Saul, we have David, we have Solomon, the first three kings of a united Israel. And then after Solomon. Uh, if you guys, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the nation of Israel split into two separate nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, is what it was called Israel and Judah from that point forward. And uh, Israel very rapidly, the northern part of Israel, very rapidly grew away from God. Uh, Judah wasn't a whole lot better, but they were a little better. So not a whole lot, just a little. They were both pretty far from God for the most part. Uh, well, a few hundred years later maybe about 200 years or so after they split, uh, the Assyrians, a powerful empire at the time, came in and completely destroyed the northern kingdom. Uh, Samaria, their capital, was wiped out. And what Assyria would do is they would just take everybody out of the city and just disperse them across their kingdom. And, And so in a lot of ways, that northern kingdom of Israel was pretty much just bred out of existence, right? They were spread amongst the Assyrian empire, and they kind of disappeared Right, they were just gone and uh, taken out in that way. The Southern Kingdom of Judah lasted about another 150 years, um, but you know their time of the end still needed to come. They were living far from God, and God at some point just started saying, "My hand of protection is going to have to come off." You know, but He always gave them promises and saying, "You know, this is not the end. I'm still working through, guys. You guys are going to come back." Right? That's where we get that powerful statement. You know, I have plans for your future to prosper you, not to harm you. That's, that's when that's spoken in the middle of all that as a word to Judah saying, it's not, I'm not done with you guys yet. But the exile experience they had was horrific, absolutely horrific. The Babylonian Empire came in, laid siege to Jerusalem for years, and uh, it, it was absolutely horrible time. And then eventually around the year 586 B.C., they started removing people. Well, they started earlier than that, but this was the mass exodus, removing people from Jerusalem and taking them to Babylonia in captivity. Now, if you've ever looked at a map in the way that they had to go, you realize this is about 1,000 miles, the way that they had to march. These people were forced marched, okay? Forced marched for 1,000 miles. How many didn't survive? You just got to wonder. that There had to have been so many of them that died along the way. And... Uh, a famous passage that you may be familiar with that comes out of uh, the, the, the birth story in the Gospels is, uh, and it's, it's quoted uh, in the story of Matthew, when the story when uh, Herod, King Herod, was trying to kill all the little children. And it says in, in Ramah, there was a great weeping and Rachel weeps for her children. Her children are no more. That was a really probably bad paraphrase, but that's the, that's the Jeff paraphrase version. That passage comes out of this time of forced march exile because Ramah was a city. It was a staging ground where the Babylonians would take the people out of Jerusalem, bring them to Ramah, and that was a staging ground for the forced march to leave. And so that's when that was originally spoken That Rachel, one of the mothers of Israel, you know, she she was weeping. Her children are no more. No one is there to comfort her, right? So it's this this expression of hopeless grief. There's no hope involved in that one. It's not saying we're weeping, but we know God's got this, right? That wasn't even in that statement. It was no one is here to comfort her. It's just a hopeless grief at this point. So the people of Judah were forced marched around 1,000 miles Again, who knows how many of them didn't die or didn't survive. Uh, they're brought into Babylon. They are re- unable, or allowed to stay together. The Babylonians did not disperse them and cause them to just disappear like the Assyrians. Uh, but they were in exile. Their city was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. The altar was destroyed. Every, every way that they knew to worship God and express their worship to him was gone, stripped from them. Their identity of a people is gone. These are a people who had for years, you can read it in the book of Psalms, sung songs of victory of how God would never allow a nation. God is all powerful and he will fight for us. And any nation God will destroy that rises up against Jerusalem. They had sung these songs for years and believed this of their God and it's gone. And so we come to their exile in Babylon, and that brings us to Psalm 137. This psalm comes out of the exile, and I want to read this to you. And it says, starting in verse 1, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept. When we remembered Zion, means Jerusalem, when we remembered Zion, Uh, When we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Listen to the, this is a taunt the Babylonians Babylonians were giving them. And our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. That's those songs I was telling you about where they would talk about God's victory and how he was all powerful and he would destroy any nation that rose up against Israel, right? That's the kind of songs. You can just hear the Babylonians, sing us one of those songs now. Where's your God? Sing us one of those songs. So they're, they're sitting in captivity, all that had just happened, and their tormentors, their captors, are looking at them and say, Sing us joyfully one of your songs of Zion. So they said in verse 4, How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So just thinking of their city that had been destroyed, God's city. And this is where it gets real in verse 7. I want you to focus in on this one. He says, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down. So another place, the the land of Edom, was also cheering for their destruction. Um, How they said, tear it down to its foundations. O oh, daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. So here's feelings of vengeance starting to come up. And it says in verse 9, this is where it really hits. And this is the part where you're like, no person of God should ever say this. Happy shall they be who takes your little ones and dash them against the rock. What kind of a place. And that's, it. that's the whole psalm right there. There's, there's no redeeming final verse right? There's, there's no final verse that says, but God will overcome with joy. Like, a lot of Psalms have that, right? But that one's not there, okay? That was them just saying it's time to express grief, and that was them doing it, okay? To a point where they're saying what's inside of us right now is we hate Babylon so much for what they did for us that we want to see their children killed. Like, where would you have to be to say something like that? maybe you've been to a place like that before. Maybe, maybe. You know, that that lady, that first lady that I shared a story with, I, I imagine she might have been in a place like that at times where she felt like saying those kind of things. So, but it astounds me, not just what was said, but first of all, that it's in the Bible, okay? This incredible expression of grief is in the Bible. No, what we would call redeeming value, is found in this passage. But where it's even where we find it in the Bible? It's in the book of Psalms. This was part of Israel's worship to God. And every psalm, every of the, every one of the 150 Psalms that are in here are used were used as part of Israel's worship rotation. Throughout the year they would recite and sing these poems, these songs as part of their worship experience with God. Can you imagine if you came into church one Sunday morning and that was the words up on the screen? Sorry, Tammy, you might lose your job. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that's that's like, what are we singing here this morning? I don't think we should be singing that. But Israel did, right? That was part of their worship expression to God. And I I start asking, why? Like, how, how is that there? Why does God allow that? And this is, I'm not sure if I have all the answers. This is my best conclusion that I've come to. So this is what I'll share with you today is that I believe it is worshipful. It is worshipful to just express your emotion to God, to let him be where you are. I think that's worshipful. And so I began to process that as a parent a little bit. And when my kids are going through a hard time, like, you know, when they're struggling with something, and it hurts my heart when I say to them, what's wrong? And they say nothing, right? I don't want to talk about it. Like, that's okay. If you need to process it on your own, that's okay. But as a father, like, I want to know. I want to know what's on your heart. I want to hear it. I want to be there for you. Like, I can't help if I don't know, right? Right. And so I really I struggle with that sometimes when my kids just are zip-lipped and that's, I don't want to talk to you about it right now. And I'm okay with that. I hope you find somebody to talk to, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. You don't have to talk to everybody all the time about your pain. I'm not saying if you're feeling pain you just need to blab, blab, blah blah blab all the time to everybody, but I hope you find somebody to express it to. I'm just saying as a father's perspective, you know, that's hard for me. And I wonder what God feels or what God thinks when he knows we're going through it when we know when he knows it's hard when he knows what's in your heart is anger and rage and grief and dis, you know despair whatever it is when he knows that's what's in your heart and all he gets from you is a fake smile and some happy words or maybe just god you don't want to hear from me right now because you're not going to like what i have to say so i'll just keep it shut i don't think he likes either of those i don't think that would be his preference Now, that is not to say that when when you're going through a hard time, I was thinking about that song that we ended with today, which says, You are good. And I do think there is great power that even when we don't believe God is good, to say you are good. There is great power in that. And and I'm not saying we don't ever do that. Okay, Sometimes, uh, I like to put it this way, sometimes our words need to lead our heart. Right? Sometimes we need to our words and our mind need to force our heart into thinking or feeling something. You gotta do that sometimes, and that's okay. So I'm not saying don't ever do that. But I am saying there's also a time and a place to be real with God and to just express it. He's a big boy, he can handle it. Right? He's a big boy, he can handle it. And I think then we should all take a page from this book, literally, (laughs) right? Take a page from the book of the Bible. And as the people of God, I think we should encourage each other to have that kind of expression in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. And if someone's going through something hard, you know, let them have that space. We need to let each other know that we have the space to be angry, to be frustrated. I mean, Think about about it this way, though. We we live in a fallen, sinful world. The world we live in is not the one God really wants us to be living in. We're going to get there someday. Praise the Lord, right? But when he created us initially, death was never to be our experience. Pain, sadness, sickness, disease, all of these things were not supposed to be part of the human experience. He didn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for us, and someday we won't have that. But we do have it now. And to pretend to be okay with something that's not okay, right? I don't want to pretend to be okay with this life because God's not okay with this life. Because he says, what you're going through right now is not good enough for me. And I'm going to make it better someday. I'm going to take away sickness. I'm going to take away disease. I'm going to wipe away your tears. You will feel the joy of the Lord every moment of every day. He said, but right now that you don't have that experience, which is why it needs to change. So God himself is not happy with our situation right now. He's changing our situation. So we don't need to pretend to be happy with our situation right now. It's okay to be angry about it. It's okay to be like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not cool. It doesn't make sense in my brain. Why? Because it's not what God's plan is for you. So in so many ways, it's okay to feel that way. But I think too often, as we walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, we have to know, we were like, okay, it's time to shift. (laughs) You've you've done the shift, right? So you just like, life's falling apart, and I walk in, and it's like, and that's how I walk in the door, because we feel like we need to. I hope we can begin to change that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to, like, come in here to a bunch of, like, grumpy people every day, every single Sunday. Like, don't always, don't be grumpy on purpose, but if it's really there, can we, can we can we be real? Can we can we give each other space to be real? Yes. Right, and I think we need to kill the idea as Christians that if someone's coming to us in a place of pain and grief, that we need to all of a sudden fix it for them. Okay, like I, I don't I don't know that that we need to do that. I, I hear Psalm one thirty seven, and I don't. In this moment, there were other moments. In the right moments, it was there. But in this moment, in Psalm 137, there was no fixing their grief. There was just an expression of it. Oh, I preached too long. Okay, go ahead now. Are we there? There we go. Okay. All right. I'll be done in three seconds, I promise. <laughs> so... Anyway, where was I? Okay, so maybe we don't always need to see grief as a problem to overcome, but just as a place that God needs to meet us in, in that moment. And I think that's probably the best place for us to begin. And uh, and if someone asks you on a Sunday morning, how you doing today, can we leave space for it to be okay to be like, I'm doing horrible. Life stinks right now. Okay, I don't like anybody. I'm not sure I like God right now. So, and we can just hold a person in that moment. Allow them to be there if they need to be there. It's okay. Now, it's not okay to live there forever, okay? It's not. It's not it's, it's, uh, this is not a license to just live your life a miserable person. That's not what this is about either, okay? Because God eventually does say, I'm going to bring joy back into your life. Lord, you've turned my mourning into dancing, That's Psalm 30. Read that one. That's another good one. I was going to go into it. I won't go into that anymore. I think I am running out of time today. But uh, read Psalm 30 this week. Go home and do that. Compare Psalm 137 and 30. So in Psalm 137, it's just a pure expression of grief. Psalm 30 is an expression of grief, but with an understanding that God brings out the morning. There is daylight at the end of this tunnel. And so joy is there, and this will pass. But we don't have to run away from it as fast as we can and try to make it past this instant. It's not a problem to be fixed. It's a place God wants to be with you in, and he's willing to meet you in that place. And I believe we can also, like Israel, maybe we can start finding ways to even just make that part of our worshipful experience in our interaction with God. I'm not exactly sure how that works all the time, but I think it's okay to meet God with that. And like I said, keep it in your mind that he's your father and he wants to know what's going on with you. And I think when you trust him with that, when you trust him with your darkest emotions, when you trust him with your deepest, darkest fears and anger, he will feel loved by that. He will. Because when someone I love trusts me with their darkest feelings, I feel, wow, they can share that with me. They, they, they trust me enough to allow me into that part of their life. I'm usually amazed by that. I'm not appalled by that. I'm amazed by that. I feel loved by that. And I think that's how it can be worshipped to God. God, I trust you enough to trust you with my pain, my grief, my anguish, my anger. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of it. Okay, Allow it to be what it needs to be as we allow each other to allow it to be what it needs to be. So can we trust God with our emotions today? you guys think we can do that as a church? All of them? (laughs) Can we trust each other with our emotions today? It's really what it comes down to. Love God, love each other. That's the, the two greatest commandments, okay? And I think part of that is also just trusting each other with all that we are. That can be part of that love. So I want to encourage us all right now in your heart, make a promise to every other person in this room to say, if you get up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, I'll be there for you, <laughs> or whatever, however you need to say that for you. If we can trust God and we can trust each other with these kinds of emotions, I think this can be an even more life-changing church family, right? And I use that word family very intentionally because with families, as everyone knows, don't raise your hands, but you know it, life's not always fun, <laughs> right? Right? And in the home, there are good days and there are bad days. And it's we're a family, right? So we can't just pretend like the bad days don't exist. That's not what a family does. That's just not, that's not how it works. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. First of all, that you've taught us it's okay to express grief because we see in the pages of your word you expressing grief, and anger, frustration, over us over your children, following things other than you, Lord God, turning our backs on you. And you just you let us know about the pain that that gives you. And I appreciate that, God. I really, really appreciate that. God, I also thank you that in your word we can see these intense expressions of grief that almost that just sound horrific sometimes. But we can just stand here knowing that that's what a person really felt one day. And you allowed them, you not only allowed them, you inspired them to put it on words for the rest of us to read for all eternity. You inspired those feelings of grief and those expressions of vengeance and anger and hatred even. You, you allowed those feelings to be expressed in a way that we can see them as part of your inspired word. So God, I pray that you will help us to make this a church family that is real. That this is full of real people who sometimes are hurting, and it's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel angry. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.